ladies. Welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week my guest is Jennifer Jaskell. She's a divorced single mother of two amazing children. Her daughter, Addison, is 10 years old and her son, Connor, is five. Her daughter, Addison, spends half her time with her father and half her time with her, but she has full custody of Connor. Jennifer is actually a survivor of domestic abuse and she's here to tell her story. Before we go into Jennifer's story, I just wanted to say that, you know, domestic violence is on the rise because of this quarantine. And it's the reason why I continue to have guests on my show talking about domestic violence, because it doesn't always look the same for everyone. But I wanted to share every story I could possibly share on this podcast so that women are aware the different types of domestic abuse that you could be enduring and not really knowing it. So this is Jennifer's story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I grew up, my parents are still married. They're high school sweethearts. They've been married now 45 years. This year will actually be 46 years. And so I have an older brother. He has five children. It was just, you know, we had a small knit family, very close. And I was the first one to graduate high school and attend college, got my bachelor's degree, and then went on as I worked full time, got my master's degree. So you're very educated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And after I got my bachelor's degree, my husband and I got married. So I married my high school sweetheart. Following in your parents' footsteps. Yes. Yes. And, you know, he was a football player. I was a cheerleader. So, you know, it was just like the classic high school sweetheart kind of story, I guess. Yeah. Did you grow up in a small town? We did. Yeah. It wasn't very big at all. I mean, we had a couple of elementary schools. In reality, I mean, it wasn't huge. So it was a small town. And we met, I met him in seventh grade, but didn't really get to know him until we were friends before we started dating. And then we were married in 2003 and bought a house all in the same year. And then Addison, my our daughter was born in 2009. And then things just didn't work for us. And so January, uh, 2012, we were divorced. And and that was hard for me just because I felt like a failure. And, you know, seeing my parents have such a loving and compassionate relationship and just always being there for one another, that's what I wanted. And thought I was getting that. <laughs> that's not exactly what I got. So <laughs> things just didn't work for him and I. And we're very amicable. Thankfully, we always said if things didn't work, let's talk it out. Let's figure it out so that we didn't, if we did have children, not to have it hard because we saw what it did to people as, as children, you know, growing up, we saw what it did to families. We co-parent Addison and she spends half the time with me and half the time with him. So she gets to have time with us. So then that's when, you know, I became single for the first time since high school. <laughs> Jeez. How old were you when you became single? I was going to be 35, I believe. Yeah. So now you're in your 30s, you're a single mom of one. And now it's 2012. So like the online dating scene is happening. And your ex-husband was the only man you had ever been with? I had dated a couple people before him, but... But I mean, in eighth grade, <laughs> eighth grade high school, like how many people was that, you know? Yeah, we started dating sophomore year of high school. So I had dated a few people before him, but yeah, we were the most, I mean, he was the most serious relationship I had ever had. And I mean, so yeah, it was just very an odd time for me because first time living on my own and having that time. So, you know, 
going from full-time mom and wife and work and a full plate of social life and then moving out, finding my own place and only having my daughter part of the time and really not having a huge social life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Did you lose a lot of friends because of the divorce? I did. I did. And, and that was, I think, one of the hardest parts because him and I had talked to people. We were separating at the time and we had said we don't want anybody to choose sides. Yes. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to divorce. It's not just the kids and the family, but like your friends and especially the two of you who have been friends since junior high and have probably had the same friend circle. And now it's like odd, you know, and even though they, you know, want to be friends and to both of you, it's kind of like they, I think it's just natural to choose a side. Yes, absolutely. And I, there are a couple of people that I am still really close with, but I definitely saw a huge shift and I wasn't sure how to handle that. So I was, you know, trying to take on my own kind of figure out who I was again, because I had been with somebody for so long. Did you feel like you lost your identity in a way? I did because I had been with him, you know, since sophomore year of high school. And, and, and that just, I changed. And when I changed, we changed kind of together. So I changed a lot. And I actually, when I stepped back, I could see some of the things my mother and I would argue about. And even my brother and I, just about the relationship when I was with my husband. So I could see what they were actually talking about and that step back now. And I'm like, wow. And so I had to kind of recreate who I was again, which was great, but very hard because I wasn't sure where to start. <laughs> yeah. And you were also in this emotional turmoil of like the loss of your relationship of what you thought it was going to be and what you hoped it was going to be. And now not only are you heartbroken, Because no matter what, at the end of a relationship, even if you didn't, if it didn't succeed because of him or her cheating or whatever it is, you're still heartbroken. You know, you're heartbroken because you have this idea of what it was supposed to be and it didn't turn out to be. So then you either blame him or you blame yourself as if you were a failure and you couldn't get it together, you know? Absolutely. And and that was the biggest thing. Like my mom, talking to my mom about it, it it was easier. Because when I, my dad got on the phone and I had to tell him I, I bawled because I did, I felt like a failure. And, you know, I had this set in my mind that I was going to be married once. That was it. That's what my parents did. So that was a hard pill for me to swallow just because I didn't expect to be where I was. I didn't see my life at, you know, in the, my mid thirties to be divorced, you know, on my own and trying to figure out life again. So that was really hard. Now, were you working at 35 or did you have a job or? Yes. Yep. I've been working. I've always worked. Well, that at least is the one constant. There's some people who like had their husbands take care of them and now all of a sudden they have to figure out how they're going to start working again. Yes. No, that was one thing I, I have always worked. So I had that in my, you know, I had that going, but it was still very hard just because I was trying to figure out, you know, after work coming home when I didn't have my daughter what do I do and how do I see it? And and those nights were really tough on me, especially at the beginning. And so that was in January. Our divorce was final in January, 2012. And in February, I was asked to go out on a date with an acquaintance of ours. We both knew him and I, he reached out to me and I hadn't talked to him in 
few years. And I said, well, why not? So I met him out for drinks. And that started a relationship that I never expected it to start. So the charm was there, just full. I don't even know how to describe it fully. He was so, he would say the right thing at the right moment. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It was like everything was perfect. Yes. It was like you were in like a lifetime, not lifetime movie, but a Hallmark movie. Yes. <laughs> where everything is perfect and he smells perfect and he says the right thing. And you just like, why? We have so much in common and you're so involved in the story of how you're going to tell your love story. Exactly. And so the charming was there and we started talking every day and the texting was almost nonstop. And and that was a lot from going from someone who never texted me. My ex-husband would talk, you know, we'd text here or there, but he where he works, he can't do that. So, so the attention was just like brand new for you. Yes, yes. So we started dating and shortly, a few weeks later, I think maybe wasn't even maybe probably a month later, I think he was staying at my house most of the time. Wow. Yeah. So it was moving very fast. That's a clear red flag. It, yes. Yes. And the drinking became very excessive. And and I would drink on and off and I'd come home from work and have a couple of drinks, whatever. That was fine. But this came to the point where we were, it was a lot. Another red flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, it was it was very intense. My parents even made a couple comments to us a few times. But of course, I, you know, in the midst of it, I'm like, we're fine. It's okay. Like, it's not anything abnormal. Uh, but I look back now and I can say, wow. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand that when you're in it, you're so enamored and you're so caught up in the love story that you really can't see clearly. No. And we, and so at the time when we first started dating, we would drink two different types of beer. And so his was cheaper than mine. (laughs) And I mean, I was buying a couple cases every couple, you know, I mean like a 12 pack and an 18 pack every couple days. I'm like, whoa. So when you look, when I look back now, I'm like, holy cow, that was, that was intense. And that caused for some major fights. So the first time anything happened, we were at a friend, a close friend of mine, her father was battling cancer. So it was a cancer foundation. And the first time a bunch of my friends had met him and I hadn't seen some of them in a while and we were having a great time. And then don't exactly remember what happened, but I said something and it triggered him and he grabbed me by the throat and pulled me down to the chair. In front of them? In front of, so my friend and her husband left to take their son home. And I was there with a bunch of, uh, you know, her father and a bunch of people that I didn't know, plus some friends that I knew. Her sister was there with her boyfriend. And so there was a crowd. <laughs> her, oh, yes, this was a big crowd. And there was people that worked in my corporate office that saw this too, that I didn't know personally, but I knew their faces. So what was your initial reaction? Of course, I was like, somebody said something I'm like, it's fine. He's just, you know, joking around, you know, it wasn't a, a hard pull, but it was enough that you could see the force enough to get me down. And so you could, you could tell my face was kind of like taken back. But at the same time, I was trying to cover it up. Because you didn't want to alarm the people in the crowd. 
Right. So, and her dad saw it and, and her sister. So that was the first time anybody had seen anything. And I was mortified because at that point I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, how do I get around this? And, or how do I explain it to anyone? Yeah, right. We were going to get a cab home and her sister said, well, we can give you a ride home. So her sister and her boyfriend decided to give us a ride home. And so he sat in the front with her boyfriend and we stopped at a store for something and he smashed her car window because we were in the car. They went into the store. We were sitting in the car and he was arguing with me. So the fight just continued. And I remember sitting there going, what did you just do that for? And he's like, well, because you're not listening. It was just this whole sense of, I don't know what to do and how am I going to make it through this and not knowing. So that was one instance where I was scared because, you know, we're being driven home by friends and they're seeing this. And so I paid for it. I, you know, gave the money to my uh, girlfriend to make sure her windshield was paid for. And it sticks in my mind because I did tell her that it's not the first time something like this has happened, yet I was too afraid to walk out. Like I was too afraid to leave and I didn't know how to do it. And and so it was still new, but I was still scared. So at this point, how long had you been together? Uh, We worked even together a year. Wow. So, you know, anytime you drink, escalation happens with any type of flare up. So the yelling would happen. And there'd be times when I didn't remember even getting in an argument. And I'm like, what, what? And that's when, you know, I started to realize things were going on. And now when the yelling would happen the next morning, would you just chalk it up to like, oh, we were drunk? No, because it would depend on if it would depend on what what the circumstances were, because sometimes I could tell that it was okay. We were just getting in a heated argument because we were drinking or it was something I was passionate about. And then he thought I shouldn't even talk to him about it or I should drop it. It was that control thing that he wanted always. And in the morning, was he like pouring on the charm and asking for forgiveness? Yes. Mm, Another red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And some mornings he would ignore me. So there were some days where if we did get into an argument, he would ignore me the next day because he thought it was truly all on me. And I would ignore him. I was like, I'm not doing this because it wasn't on me. You know, it was it was both of us. One of the worst times I I didn't realize my daughter was never home when it did get physical. There was never a time my daughter luckily was home except for one time. And I find out this years later. So I find out later on she could hear what happened. But we were arguing in the bedroom and it was really heated and we were just in in each other's like face. And I went to walk out of the room and he came out after me and he took me to the ground in the hallway, which it was a small hallway. It had the bathroom door, her bedroom door and our bedroom door, which wasn't very far apart. And then the stairs to go downstairs and he took me to the ground and started choking me in front of her doorway. And luckily her door was shut, but she could hear and I did not know this at the time. I thought she was fully asleep and I'm sure the between the arguing, she must have woken up, but she never came out of her room 
but he was choking me. And I said to him with the little breath I could feel was, if you're going to do this, you better do it and do it right and make sure I don't wake up. Because he was, he had a good grip on me. And I was just like, no way. If you're going to do it, do it, you know? And he let go. But I remember after I had left him finally that she told me that she heard me that night. And that was the most terrifying thing. One of them, because now she was three, you know, she was about two and a half, three years old when that happened. And to think that that she heard those words and heard that bite, that really, that really scared me. We've talked about it since then. And, but I didn't know about it. We were out to dinner, just her and I, and it just really took me back when she said it to me. And, you know, I tried to shelter her through so much of it because he, he just, he was the type that if he was angry, he would get, he would just voice it right away. And here's the thing about children is that even if you think you're hiding it from the kids and they're behind closed doors, and like you said, you, you didn't think she could hear, children are very, very stealth and aware. <laughs> they can hear everything you think that they can't hear. And not only that, but they could feel the energy in the room. So if he's constantly being angry and hateful and vengeful and just creating this negative toxic environment, they could pick up on that. Like they totally pick up on when you're angry, when you're upset, when you guys are yelling, they feel that same type of anger with no words said. So, I mean, children, I think get a big, huge blunt of what we decide to put ourselves into. Like if we decide to be in a domestic abusive relationship, not decide, but like we stay in it. There's a lot of repercussions because the children have a lot of side effects because of it. And it's so true. And I had to face that a lot, actually, because I used to I used to have to cover up bruises on my face. So, yeah, and working in a corporate job, quite a few times people had me aside. And there was a one we were, my mom found out she had breast cancer in 2013. She was getting ready to go in for surgery. And... The plan was to go down in the morning. I was going to pick up Addison and I could be there at the hospital with her all day. And I remember going to the kitchen, get something to drink. And he was coming home from a meeting and it was late and he was, he was in a motorcycle club. So he would come in late or some nights not even come home. And this time he came home late. He had been drinking and I said something and it just triggered him and he just, went off. I don't even remember what the arguing was about, but it was the fact that we got into such a heated discussion that it turned into a fight, like a fist fight. And it became so bad that my left eye above my left eyebrow right next to it got busted wide open. And I had a huge black and blue eye that swelled right up that I could barely see out of it. So I had to there was there was blood all over the counter, the floor. I mean, it was the kitchen was just a disaster. And when I think the hardest part was I would fight back because I was always taught by my father and my mother was don't, you know, don't throw the first punch, but don't sit there and take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, good advice, but not good advice in this in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I never backed down from him. And he was a six one guy. He was six one, must have been like seventy-five. And I'm five six. And I was probably about one forty. 
145. And so there's, you know, a difference. <laughs> but I, I now, did you go to the hospital after that fight to get your eye stitched up? Nope. Never once did I go to the hospital. Never once did I go to the police. However, every time I took pictures and I had those pictures and I had to eventually get those um, white butterfly bandages for my eyebrow because it just wouldn't heal. And that was terrifying because that next morning I got my daughter and we went to the hospital and my whole family was sitting there as I walked in completely beaten up and to look the, you know, look at them and their faces looking at me and telling them a lie about how, and I can remember it, that we went to the convenience store and a fight, you know, a a girl started a fight with me and, and it just broke out. I was like, so we told this idiotic lie that he couldn't even tell straight when he had to see them the next time, you know, that they knew something was wrong. How did you feel as you were like telling this fake story to your parents? Horrible, horrible. And my, I was, my gut was just in knots. And I was terrified because I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, if it's this bad and I had to clean it up already, what's going to happen next time? And we had several of these and we had another fight that was so bad that it actually broke my nose and I didn't know it. But I looked back at pictures recently as I was moving and both my eyes were completely black and blue and I could tell something was wrong with my nose and just, you know, but I looked at that picture and my, I mean, the black and blues came down to almost the edge of my nose. They were dark purple. And how do you cover that up? You can't. Makeup can only do so much and you can't cover that completely. Yeah. Even if you try to put sunglasses on, you can still tell behind those glasses what's going on. So what was your pivotal point where you were just like, okay, this is it. And how, what was your plan and how did you finally get out of that relationship? I tried to leave a couple of times before I would go down to my parents and stay. Finally, I was actually staying at my parents' house. We were actually got it. So in the midst of all of this, my car had gotten repossessed because he wasn't working. So my car got repossessed. I was paying all the bills. I would have to take hardships out of my 401k in order order for us to make the bills. I got pregnant with my son. And so what I did was I couldn't make all the bills anymore. And we had to leave where we were and move in with his family. Um, his parents into his old bedroom. So here we are. Now I'm an hour away in living with his parents. Our son's crib was in his room with us. And my daughter, when we had her, would stay in the guest room next door. And I think the point was we got into a fight at his parents' house and it woke his parents up. And they actually had to see him punch me. <gasps> yep. Because they were coming in to get Connor because he was screaming. And I had a bloody nose. My daughter was waking up and his father took her to go get water. And yeah, it was that. What did his mom say? They were mortified. I left there, went to my parents for a little bit, barely would talk to him. And then I picked him up so he could see his son for dinner at my parents. And he was completely out of realm. He wasn't himself. I could see something was wrong. 
And I find out later from my sister-in-law, because I took him home, that he said some pretty graphic things in front of my nephew and his friends what? about us, about our sex life, which was horrific. My nephew, did not, yes. Was he doing drugs? I'm pretty sure he was, because when I got him, he was just totally out of it. And then, of course, he was drinking. And he was just made my sister-in-law feel very uncomfortable in the hallway as she was trying to come down. My parents live in a trailer, so it's not very big. And and that was just the point where I was like, you know what? I'm done. I am not going to live like this. So I took it upon myself to figure out behind his back. I did my taxes, looked for a place. My mother went with me to find an apartment with my tax refund. And I decided that I couldn't allow my children to be raised this way. There was no way I could keep doing this. And so I found a place. And so that relationship lasted for four years. Wow. Four years. Yeah. Yes. So there was a lot of those battles. And so my financial went, you know, and, and the abuse wasn't just physical and emotional. I mean, the verbal and the financial was there. It was a whole handbag of a mess. And and I had to figure out how to fix it. In March of 2016, I left and he came home. So I got everything behind his back. Everything was signed. And he was getting ready to go to Daytona. So mind you, he wasn't working, but he would work just enough to make money so he'd get to Daytona for the bike club. He's got priorities. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So he came home and he would get angry with me. Now we are live an hour away from my where I work. I'd have to pick up the kids, shop at the grocery store, and then get home. And then and if I wasn't there on at a certain time, he'd be like, Where were you? Why is it taking you so long? Well, I'm not a hop, skip, and a jump from work. And I had to stop and do this, this, and this. So he came home. I told him he was drunk. I could smell the whiskey on his breath. It was horrible. And I told him that when he came back from Daytona, that the kids and I would no longer be here, that we were leaving. He didn't believe me. Oh, well, at least I would rather have disbelief versus whatever else he could have done to you. (laughs) I was very petrified, but I told him. And then while he was gone, we moved out and it's been a whirlwind since because, you know, and even when I moved out, I would see him secretly with no one knowing because you, it's that battle of, well, he's my son's father and I do love him. And, and just like, again, any relationship you're ending, you, how do you break free? But I finally, my mother was at the house because she would help with the kids because I couldn't afford daycare. And or at the apartment that we had rented, and he had said, "I'm gonna call. I'm gonna bring you up on kidnapping charges." What? Yep. And I said, "Well, you can't do that. I told you I was leaving, and I told you where I was going, and you know where I live. So that's not kidnapping. You took him across state lines." And I said, "Well, you knew what I was doing, you know." So I think at that point, I thought, "Okay, this is it." And then I happened to see him out after work he asked me to meet him so before I went home and I met him out and he started arguing with me in parking lot and shut me halfway through the door like started to shut the door and I'm standing in the car so he started to shut it on me and a couple a couple of people were going into you know the restaurant and a couple of the guys spoke up and he started to fight I said just go I said just go on your bike and leave and I got in my car and I went home and at that point, I knew I was like, this cannot continue. And so I 
even though I was out on my own, I, you know, finally had had enough. And July 4th of 2016, I got a protective order on him. Yeah, that was hard for me, um, but I did that. And then I got, went to court and we did the court proceedings. He was supposed to do supervised visits. He never did them. And, you know, it's hard some days when I look at my son and he questions me about his father, you know, how do you handle that? But, you know, that's a choice that his father has made. Yeah, not your choice at all. Right, right. No. So since then, I've rented an apartment. We rented a house. And then in July of 2019, I was able to buy my first house on my own. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, we're doing really well. Then investing in myself for personal development and moving on. And you have seriously had quite a journey. And I just wanted to share with the listeners, you know, you think that it's so easy to just leave and you think it's so easy that you'll never see them again. But every person has their own journey and they have to learn on their own, especially when it comes to a domestic abusive relationship. Like it has to come within the person to say, okay, I've had enough. And literally I'm going to cut the ties because you can try, like I'm sure your parents and your friends and your coworkers tried their darnest to try to get you away from this man, but it really has to be ultimately your decision to leave. And, you know, there are people who are willing to help you and there is no shame in asking for help. But seriously, you have to find out, you know, you can't just keep continuing and thinking like, you know, he's going to change because a lot of the times I would have to say 99% of the time they don't change. It's who they are. It's who they'll always be. And you have to be protective of yourself and your children because otherwise you're just going to continue the cycle of abuse. Now, as we're wrapping up this episode Jennifer, thank you so much for being brave and authentic to tell your true story and being raw because a lot of people need to hear what you went through. And I know that it's going to help so many women listening to this episode. What would be your nugget of wisdom that you learned throughout this journey? Pretty much a lot of what you just said. It is every situation is different. But if you are in any type, it doesn't have to be physical. That's one of the big things too. I think people don't realize mine was a little bit of everything, any type of abuse relationship that you're in, there is hope and you can rebuild your life. You can reach out to friends and family who are there for you. And if you're not sure, go to a local shelter or call a local number. There's plenty of hotlines for you. I know it's hard, but you are enough and you are worthy of being respected and being treated like the unique person that you are and you're beautiful. So just don't think that there's no hope because for a long time, I I sat in that negative mindset where I'm like, how would I ever do this? But know that there is that hope and you are worthy and you are enough to have the respect of others and for that other person to respect you back. That would be what I say, because I think that was for a long time, something I really took me time to get back to myself. Yeah, because most of the time your abusive your abusive partner makes you believe that you are unworthy and unlovable and you're not enough. So they do a really good job at brainwashing you and it doesn't matter how educated you are. I mean, here's Jennifer, she had her master's degree. I had my bachelor's degree. 
I mean, it doesn't really matter. You can come from all different types of backgrounds. You are all susceptible to being charmed, literally charmed your way into an abusive relationship. And once you're in it, you're so far in it, you don't know how to get out. But there are so many different resources, like you said. And I'm so thankful that you came on my podcast and shared your story. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. You can find me on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement. You can find me on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast. Jennifer, how can my audience find you? Linktree. So it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Jennifer Jaskell. All my, all my links are right there. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy you, you came. All right, guys, tune in next week for another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. Goodbye. Goodbye.